0: An old man and his son was bringing a donkey to market. Passing some people on the way, they heard a remark. Look at that silly pair walking while they could be riding comfortably on the donkey. The idea seemed sensible to the old man, so he and the boy mounted the donkey and continued on their way. Soon they passed another group and they commented, Look at that lazy pair breaking that poor donkey's back, tiring him so that no one will buy him. So the old man thought about that and thought maybe they're right. So he slid off and left his son on there to make the load lighter. But soon they heard another criticism from another passerby. What a terrible thing, this old man walking while that young boy sits up there and gets a free ride. You guessed it, they changed places. But soon heard people whispering, what a terrible thing, this big strong man riding on the back of the donkey while the little boy gets to walk. The old man and the boy pondered the situation and finally continued on their journey in yet another manner. They decided to tie the donkey up by its feet and carry it between two poles. (laughs) Sadly, as they crossed the bridge, this freaked the donkey right out. It broke loose, ran and fell into a river and drowned. Once there was a reliable, hard-working wife who tried very hard to please a hard-to-please husband, but she regularly failed. He always seemed to be the most crabby and difficult at breakfast. If eggs were scrambled, he wanted them fried. If eggs were fried, he wanted them scrambled. One morning with what she thought was a stroke of genius, the wife fried one egg and scrambled the other egg and placed the plate before him. Anxiously, she waited for his response, which she thought would surely be an unqualified approval. He peered down at the plate snorted, and he looked up at her and said, woman, can't you do anything right? You've scrambled the wrong egg. (laughs) As lighthearted as these silly stories may be, they do point out a simple fact. In our families, in our workplaces, in our social groups, people's opinions can sometimes do a lot of damage. They can destroy us. Last time I preached, I said, when we as God's people, sadly, are not free from this problem. Sadly, often, we are faced with this problem of grace versus law, and even in the church. Within the church, people may have the opinion or believe following a certain rule or living a certain way is required to totally obey God's will. Yet others have a completely different opinion or an understanding of the exact same rule or way of life. Because of this, this unity has always been a major problem for God's people. In my last sermon, we saw examples of this in both Scripture, in modern day life and in the church. Last time I began to look at Paul's advice given to the church in Rome that were facing such problems in Romans 14, where Paul was addressing the problem of disputable matters. Those matters were in a Christian walk where one may think it's okay to do something, but someone else has a strong conviction that you shouldn't be doing that at all. I gave examples of Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker who had a falling out over the theatre and smoking cigars. I also mentioned I had a friend um, in our church in Adelaide and he was full on for Christians should only ever listen to Christian music. However, his books on his bookshelves were very different than mine. We looked at Romans 14:1 to 12 and Paul's basic point was this. As believers, it's important that we accept one another. We accept one another by realising that whatever personal convictions we have on such issues are from God. We can be convinced of them in our own heart, but don't let them destroy our relationships with one another. He says, if we're putting Jesus as Lord of our lives, then whatever we're doing, we're doing for him. Now, I don't believe Paul was a dumb man, and in some ways I hope neither am I. I mean, if Paul was to only write that and leave us with those verses and those teachings from that first section of the passage, or if I was to only do the sermon I did two weeks ago, it could cause a lot more fights, divisions, and arguments rather than stopping them. What do I mean? Well, last time I said, in that opening section, Paul's points are this. Receive one another because God has received us. Know that it's God who is able to sustain his own children. Make Jesus Christ Lord of your life and know that Jesus Christ is the judge. But if this is all we had, or if this is all Paul wrote, then we could get the impression that as Christians, all we need to do is not worry about us or what we do. We just have to accept one another. If someone disagrees, then that's their problem. That's between them and God. All we need to do is just accept each other and leave each other alone. Imagine the fights, imagine the quarrels that would happen if the Christian church and everyone in it lived like that. But as I said, I don't believe Paul was a dumb man and in some ways I hope neither am I. For you see, the main emphasis on the first part of Romans 14 that we looked at last time was to do with the master-servant relationship. We should accept one another trusting that God is the one who is going to work in people's lives. The relationship he was looking at was the one between a person and the God. In this next section that I'm looking at today that read out before by Michelle, Paul changes the focus. He changes the relationship. He's no longer talking about the master-servant relationship. Paul's main teaching in this principle is about brotherly love. His section here, his first section is on accepting one another and his section here is on edifying one another, building one another up. It is to do with the brother-to-brother relationship within the church. Sure, we may disagree on certain things, but it's not the things that are important. What's important is we edify one another. If we love each other, we will seek to edify each other, build each other up in the faith. And Paul says a big part of this means we are to watch what we do before each other. Paul shared several facts to help his readers understand what his point is. I'm going to give you three facts that is true for the Christian life. Before I do that, let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for our day today. We thank you that we can come together as uh, like-minded people, but also as different-minded people. And Father, I pray that um, as we open up your word today, that you will um, encourage us and challenge us and speak to us on, on the things that we need to hear, on how we are relating to one another. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I know it's been read, but let's do it again. He opens with this. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacles in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it's unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother from whom Christ died. Fact number one, as Christians, we affect each other. Do you know one of the great things about being a Christian is having Christian brothers and sisters. I often say one of the best things, the first things God does once he saves you, he puts you into a loving Christian family. We have the opportunity to be involved and share in each other's lives. Because of that, we are in fact, we do affect one another. We do have an impact on one another, whether we know it or not. I mean, just look around, seriously. Look around this room. Go for it, look around at the people. Don't worry, you're not gonna get struck with lightning or anything. I know you're not meant to move when people are preaching, but look around the room. Look around at the people. Think of this. Can you see anyone in this room that has brought you encouragement before? Renewal. Prayer has walked alongside you in times of trouble. You know, I'm sure you can. And most times they probably don't even know it. It's great to see the, Christ- the effects that we as Christians can have on each other on a positive level. But Paul's warning is this. Sadly, it can also be done On a negative level. Note the possible ways Paul's mentioned we can affect each other. We can cause others to stumble. We can grieve others. And we can even go as far as to destroy others. Paul was speaking of the way the strong Christians were teething the not so strong Christians. He states nothing is unclean of itself. No food is unclean. No day is unclean. No person is unclean. It is what that food or day or person does that determines its quality. We don't struggle much with food and stuff like that today and special days. But let me tell you, some of us may struggle with different things. Do you know, some of us may be able to read certain books, watch certain movies or TV programs, eat or drink certain things, or go to certain places and they don't bother us at all. They have no effect on us at all. Yet for another Christian, a Christian brother or sister, reading the same book as you, watching the same movies or TV programs as you, eating or drinking the same things as you, or going to same places as you, may cause them to sin. This is an important point. Whenever you are considering doing something, whenever you are considering preaching something, whenever you are considering getting on a soapbox and believing something, the question to yourself isn't, how does it affect me? That's not the issue. The issue should be this. If I do this, how will it affect the Christians around me? Will it make them stumble? Will it grieve them or even destroy them? Or will it encourage them to sin? Fact number one, as Christians, we affect each other. Do you know, I I learned this firsthand. As most of you know, I was a pastor in an Aboriginal community and before I went there, I went around Australia and visited different people and um, I chatted with different pastors and people. And one of them said to me, well, not one of them, a lot of them said to me this, the one thing you never, ever do as a pastor in a Christian community is drink alcohol. Don't you ever, ever drink alcohol in, a, in an Aboriginal community as a pastor. Why? Because you will do more damage than what you could think of. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to go there and teach them that it's OK to drink. You know? Is it really that important? I mean, is it really worth it? Surely I should be able to stick up for what I believe in. Knowing that it's not really a sin, but the question we should ask ourselves, is it worth harming another Christian just so I can enjoy the things that I enjoy in my life? In the same way, I remember, and I failed, my friend Craig from Adelaide, and I kid you not, he believed Christians should only ever listen to Christian music. He got in my car one day, and at that time, my favourite album was Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. (laughs) I played it. He said to me Garth I will never get in a car with you again. Who was right? Who was wrong? I was wrong. I was wrong. I knew exactly what I was doing. I harmed our relationship simply so I could enjoy the type of music I liked and to prove a point. Should I have done that? No. I remember chatting with one of my mentors about this. But how does this work out in practical life? He said this, Garth, one of the main things we all need as Christians is knowledge and love. In every aspect of the Christian life, Garth, they must work together. It took me a while to work out his point. In fact, I didn't actually get his point. So I went back and asked him what he meant. And he said, OK, he said, let's take this. He said, let's take the example of one of your daughters. They're afraid of the dark and they think someone is hiding in the closet, some big bad monster, and they can't get to sleep. Garford's course as parents, you and Michelle, know that's not true. The child's safe. You have that knowledge. So if you go into the room and say, Samantha, stop being silly. It's time to go to bed. There's no such thing as monsters. There's nothing in your closet other than clothes. Good night, and I turn off the light and I walk out. "'I haven't really assured my daughter of anything. "'I haven't comforted her at all. "'I just simply went in with my knowledge "'and I poured out the facts. Bring, "'And that wouldn't bring the child "'to having the loss of theory,' set. said. "'But he said, Garth, on the other hand, "'when you go in with knowledge and love for your child, "'you act differently.' "'He says you would go in "'and you would sit on Samantha's bed. "'You would talk loving to her, assure her, "'I understand you're scared.' I understand it's dark but I want to promise you Samantha you are safe and he said even as an act of love you may promise to sit with her until it goes to sleep. Guess what? When you go in with knowledge and love the child goes to sleep without fear. Knowledge must be balanced with love he said in any Christian life. Some Christians have a deep spiritual knowledge I know people that know more about the Bible in their little finger than I know about in my whole body. But you know what? If they don't practise love, if they just come in wielding their rules and legalism, if they just come in and say, this is what we are to do and don't practise love, then that knowledge can hurt other Christians. That knowledge can do damage. However, knowledge plus love helps each other to grow and grow strong. It affects one another. We have the wonderful opportunity to affect each other this way, in love. If you see someone doing something that you don't think is right, use knowledge and love. But he tells us, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean." but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Fact number two, Christians can help each other grow. All of us as Christians need to grow in our walk and our relationship with God. In fact, you could go as far as to say it is wrong for a Christian to stay as a young Christian and immature. It's interesting, we are in Adelaide as you know last week and our granddaughter is starting to crawl and move and she's just got up on her knees and um, she's quite fast at it. Soon she will learn to walk. No doubt when she begins to learn to walk she'll probably spend more time on her bottom than on her feet. She will stumble, she will fall, she will go from here and there. And you know what? That's okay because she's a toddler. She's learning to walk. But imagine if, as adults, we still hadn't grasped how to walk. If we were still stumbling, falling all the time. That's a problem. I'm an adult, not a toddler. In our physical life, we all need to grow. We all need to change. We all need to get better at things. Again, as a Christian, we need to grow in our walk and relationship with God We all need to grow in the love and knowledge of God. That's what Paul says. As Christians, we must help, not force, each other to grow. We spoke about this very thing Thursday night at our men's Bible study. How are we as Christians, men, able to help each other to grow? What things do we put in place? What's the best way to do it? Well, Paul says this. Do what leads to peace and to mutual edification between each other. That's what helps each other grow. A good illustration of this comes from the family home. As I said, all children need to grow and the best people to help them grow is their parents. When a child comes into a home for the first time, I'm sure you realise this, everything has to change. I can't believe how much one little person can change a whole household. Mum and dad are careful to no longer leave dangerous items like scissors around on chairs or dangerous items within reach of toddlers learning to walk. But as the child matures, it's possible for parents to adjust the rules and to deal with him in a more adult fashion. Why? Because they've lovingly dealt with that child in a way that is going to edify them. It is going to help them to grow. The parents aren't going to put things and leave things in the way that are going to cause the children pain or make the child stumble. I mean, imagine if BJ and Ally's daughter Ebony came to church in a couple of weeks covered in bandages and burns. And we ask, oh, guys, what happened? And BJ and Ally tell us, well, we filled her kiddie pool with boiling hot water. Then we waited for her to go and get in it. We'd say, what on earth did you do that for? Oh, we did it so she could learn what happens when a child plays with boiling water. No parent wants to see their child hurt. No parent wants to see their child stumble. But if the help the parents offer is to deliberately leave dangerous things around the house or put the child in a situation where they can be hurt and stumble, then that's not help at all. That's not the help that leads to mutual edification. That's not the help Paul is talking about here. He says all of us as believers need to grow in love every day. All of us as believers need to grow in knowledge every day. When a fellow Christian is weaker or struggling in the faith, when a fellow Christian is doing something that you think they don't need to do, we must lovingly help them. When we really love and edify our fellow Christians, that will help them to grow. Edify one another. This is Paul Main's point in these verses. As Christians, we need to develop a kind of fellowship that will protect and encourage one another to grow, not to put stumbling blocks in their way, not to put things in there that are going to hurt them. We must exercise love and patience. We must be careful we are not deliberately doing something or putting something in front of another Christian that could cause them to stumble like I did with Craig in my car. 2 Peter 3.8 says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ we mature in our faith. We can help others believers to do the same. This will edify them. It will edify us and it will edify God. The result will be a peace and maturity and a glory to God. And finally this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Fact number three. Christians have, must not force their opinions on others. Christians must not force their opinion on others. I spoke about this last time, so I don't have to say much. There are certain truths that all Christians must accept because they're the foundations of our faith. They're untouchable. But if you have a sincere conviction from God about a certain matter that can be an open-handed thing, keep it to yourself. Don't try to force everybody else to accept it. Do you know, no Christian can borrow another Christian's conviction and be honest in his Christian life. That's what Paul says. If you do that, then you are nothing but a double-minded man. If I was to suddenly take hold and only listen to Christian music because Craig said so, that's not living the life God had called Garth to live. You cannot borrow another Christian's conviction and be honest in your Christian life. Why? Because it is God who gives the convictions. God put that conviction in Craig's heart and still is today. I don't need to borrow it. I need to help him and support him and edify him in his conviction. The sense of right and wrong is strengthened by knowledge, but knowledge must be balanced with love. If we try and force this sense of right or wrong onto others, this will tear each other down instead of building each other up. Believers may hold different convictions about many matters, but they must hold them in love. So that's the first and final section of Romans 14. In disputable matters, Christians are to accept one another and trust that their relationship with God is okay, but also edify one another. Make sure you're looking at what you are doing around your Christian brothers. Do you know, I don't like preaching we must sermons because people can take offence. But take this, I'm telling you, to keep your opinions, your convictions that are closed to yourself. But remember this, it's not a chore. Remember I said earlier, have a look around this room. What a privilege we have with the people in this room to share, to connect, to help each other to grow. That's not a chore. What a great God we have who works through all of us as we face different challenges. Yet... He gives us the wonderful opportunity to help us edify each other and bring glory to him. We do that when we realise three facts. As Christians, we affect each other by what we do and what we say. This effect can be negative or this effect can be positive. As Christians, we can help each other to grow, but we do it lovingly, not judgmentally or not condemningly. As Christians, we must not force our opinions or their opinions or other opinions. We must allow God to work in our lives and in the lives of others. Next time, I'm going to finish this series, and I'll be looking at the first section of chapter 15, where Paul continues to give these people in Rome one more instruction on how they are to deal with disputable matters amongst one another that produces unity and grace and not law. As I said, so far, he's except, except one another. Today is edify one another. And next time, he says, please one another. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. And um, I thank you for the vitalness of relationships between your brothers and sisters. Father, I really pray that um, as we come and we go forward and and we're looking at things we're doing, I thank you for the convictions that you place on our hearts and on the hearts of our Christian brothers and sisters. But Lord, I pray that they will not tear down our relationships, but they will strengthen them. Help us to help each other to grow. Help us to be there for one another. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.